to four. Our special guest is Rick Lees. He's a DJ, artist, co-founder of the amazing Cotton Clouds Festival that brought Bob Marley's old band The Whalers to Saddleworth. And of course, Rick is the original bass player in Upper Mill's finest ever band, Twisted Wheel. Thank you. We did a feature on, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we did a feature on Twisted Wheel a few weeks ago on the show. And we were discussing how mad it was that the band went from MySpace to signing with Columbia Records 
and hitting the stage at Heaton Park in front of 70,000 fans with the enemy, Kasabian and Oasis in literally two years. You also toured with Paul Weller. Can you tell us about that rise and what it was like first-hand to experience it? Um, it, it, it was amazing, obviously, uh, as anyone would say. Um, but it took us probably probably five years to get to that point, but not not just with Twisted Wheel. It was with like various other bands. Um, I, I joined a band with Johnny after I, I'd been playing a, a couple of years with other bands. Uh, and I joined a band with Johnny called The Children. Um, obviously, Johnny Johnny's the, the singer in Twisted Wheel, but he wasn't the singer in The Children. He was just, just the guitarist. In fact, he was the bass player before I joined, but then... Um, oh, was he right? He, right. he was, yeah, yeah. Although he he wasn't a bass a bass player by trade, he, he they only needed a bass player. So uh, they had a couple of other lads on on guitar, but they they both left at the same time. Um, and Johnny moved over to the guitar, and he invited me to play bass. Uh, and the children had a really good really good following around Manchester, and we had um, you know a, a bit of label interest here and there. Nothing nothing enough really, but we've been knocking on the door and, and trying to try to progress as a band for, for for years and then Johnny started writing a few different tunes uh, and they didn't really suit the style of the children um, so he invited me up to his house to have a, a jam of a couple of them and, and I sort of said what are you going to do with these tunes now because this ain't going to work with the children and he said I know why don't we start something new and, and we started jamming and we, we probably had about six or seven tunes between us. Uh, and this went on for a, a few months. And then finally, I got the call from Johnny uh, one day and he was already jamming with, with Adam, our drummer. And he just said, come on, I've got Ad, Adam's here at my house learning these tunes now. Um, and, and that was it, you know, and we were sort of jamming. Uh, you stole the sun and, and rack it and smash it up and all these sort of punky, uh, fast, early wheel tunes, and they just sounded brilliant. That first album is just amazing. Like so, like you say, just a punk spirit. Like, yeah, you stole the song. Yeah, it was a bit skiffily sort of thing. Um, yeah, yeah, it I mean, was, yeah. Oh, oh, it was to start with. There were a few a few tunes on the album, like Loose the Castle and We Are Us, that we wrote much later on that had a, a yeah, different vibe. But, um, but, but we just got these quick, fast... Uh, you know, pounding tunes together and 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 let them loose. And before you knew it, we had a record deal with uh, with Columbia, uh, and and we had we had the same manager as Oasis, actually, because Noel saw us on um, on Channel M, which was an old Manchester TV. He watched us on that, and then the next minute, um, it, it it all sort of happened at the same time. Really, as soon as you get labels interested, all the management companies start sniffing around, and you know the. Uh, the, the 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 PR companies and 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 pluggers and and all this business. So Oasis manager approached us and wanted to manage us. So yeah, we we did that and uh, you know went with him uh, because obviously to us we we grew up in in on, on the outskirts of Manchester and when we were younger, the biggest band for us was Oasis and and you know yeah. for me still one of the the main bands that, that have influenced me. So just to get the chance to have the same manager and tour with them was just incredible. And what was life on the road like with Oasis? Unbelievable, really. I mean, we, we'd sit in the canteen before the gig and, and have dinner because if you're on a tour that size, they have like full catering crew and stuff that go around all the arenas with you and, and you get like a, a massive dinner before uh, be, before you go on. And 
yeah, you know, we just sat there eating our dinner with Oasis, and I was all the time I was just thinking, <laughs> is this really happening? You know, th- these <laughs> these are the, are the guys that we looked up to all, um, you know, f- forever basically. Um, so yeah, it was brilliant, but you know, the, the contrast between some of the smaller gigs we were playing normally, like. Um, you know, small venues up up and down the country because you got to do the toilet tour um, to to start with. Uh, going from that to doing the big arenas with Oasis was just mind blowing. Um, sometimes I actually preferred the smaller gigs because you get a better atmosphere. But uh, just to have the opportunity was was fantastic. Well, the smaller wheel gigs were always Larry, weren't they? You had a demo really? with um, like a vinyl on the front of it. Yeah, yeah, that was it. Was taken from an old fairground ride or something, I think. Yeah, that was. Oh it, no, yeah. I know, we got I know which one because... you mean. I know which one you mean. Yeah, with the with the guy with with the uh, bandit stealing the sun. Yeah, that was um, some of, some of the artwork in the early days was was questionable to say the least. <laughs> but the atmosphere at them early gigs, like you always felt the roof was going to come off the place. It was just like it was almost like parties in the crowd were just like. So, so, so behind the band. Which Twisted Wheel tune would you say is your favourite? Um, I was listening to the album the other week because we were supposed to be doing a, a Tim Burgess listening party. Uh, and I think, I think my new favourite is Let Them Have It All, although it didn't used to be. I, I think the lyrics in that are, are probably some of the best that Johnny's come up with. Off that first album, I love uh, Bouncing Bomb and, and Strife. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. Well, I say funny. The um, there's a lot of characters from from Saddleworth mentioned in Bouncing Bomb, um, but most of them that are mentioned have either died since or gone missing. Believe it or not. Really? Right. Yeah. Really. Yeah. It's yeah. Crazy, that, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Jesus. I know. I know. It's like a yeah. If, if you name checked in that song, you, you better be uh, <laughs> spending your time wisely. <laughs> <laughs> More recently, then, you've um, launched and helped to run uh, a club night, Howling Rhythm, which is inspired by 60s and 70s funk, and that's on at the Northern Quarter in Manchester. Um, I'm also a soul and funk fan, and, like, just at the start of lockdown, I just kept replaying Marvin Gaye, What's Going On, and, like, 49 years on, his lyrics are more relevant than ever. Um, how did you get into soul and funk? Where did where did that love come from? It was it was after uh, I left the band that I moved to Germany for a couple of years after I left Twisted Wheel. So I, what were you doing? I, 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 um, it was a funny one really because a mate of a mate of my dad's that, that my dad worked with just said because he was he was a fan of the band and he just said oh what what are you doing now that you've left the band? And I said oh I'm not sure really. Um, he said oh come and work for me in Germany. And I said, all right, really? And he said, yeah, yeah, just do it. So, so I just went on my own uh, and, and lived there for a couple of years. It was nothing interesting. It was to do with air conditioning. So it's pretty much the exact opposite to playing rock and roll. To be honest with you, everyone in Germany was equally as flummoxed as I was that I was even there. Nobody could quite work out what I was doing there, but it was a good adventure. But whilst whilst I was there, I think I just needed to fill that sort of music-shaped gap that, that I'd left listening to Northern Soul kind of filled it in a way. I, I just got really into it. And then as soon as I moved back, the first thing I did was, was start a club night, Howling Rhythm, which um, which which went on for a number of years. Became ma- massively popular, really, in Manchester. You know, we were doing 500, 500 tickets every every month for probably three or four years. Um, so, so yeah, we, we had a good innings. We, we just do odd events now. It's not a regular thing anymore. 
I, I, I kind of get my kicks from DJing now, so I, I don't have to lug all my equipment up to damp rooms in mills in Saddleworth to rehearse. You know, I just sit at home listening to tunes now. So when you were when you're in Germany then, and you started listening to Northern Soul and a bit of funk and, and everything, was that when you were out? Was that in like some kind of clubs, or was it? Just when you were, had some downtime from the from the air conditioning job, I actually went to a couple of amazing soul clubs whilst I was in Germany. Some of it's all right, but where where I lived was a, a city called Aachen, which is um, I think they've got like the best engineering university in the world there. The sort of people that went to that university really weren't the kind of people that I was used to sort of mixing with. Um, everyone was was like a doctor of physics and, and, and stuff like that. And I was just this guy that used to play in a band and, and was now doing something to do with air conditioning. So I, I didn't really fit in um, with that crowd. And to be honest, the nightlife in that city wasn't, it sort of catered for different sort of people to me in, in a way. So it was a bit, it was a bit testing from a personal perspective in, in, in that sense. But I did find a couple of soul clubs that, which just totally blew my mind that I had amazing nights that and that just spurred me on to to get even more into it really when you said germany i was sort of envisaging you know like the beatles in hamburg having this wild time or <laughs> it depends where you are in germany though uh, yeah. i've been to hamburg and, and i promise you it's absolutely carnage down the reaper barn it is mental you know it's like uh, non-stop non-stop parties down there yeah it's it's really mad and berlin is dead cool as well uh munich's a bit more um sort of traditional uh everywhere in bavaria does kind of feel a bit a bit more like that a bit kind of behind the times a little bit but Aachen was 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 just a bit of an odd place i think it, it might have been sort of the equivalent of being in like rotherham or something in the uk you know what i mean so it wasn't like mega nightlife and mega cool places i've never been to rotherham by the way I, i'm not sure why i'd use it as an example then but <laughs> it got me thinking of the arctic monkeys let it you're not from new york city you're from rotherham <laughs> maybe it was the right city to pick then yeah so having some experience with festivals when do you think live music will return i'm not sure you know because i, I was listening to uh a podcast earlier today actually by uh and and the guy whose podcast is is called bob left set and he's like a, a massive music in the music industry commentator uh and he was interviewing the guy that set up uh, Lollapalooza in the usa and, and he said that he doesn't think any any festivals will go ahead till 2022 i can see why to be honest because i think that not only have we got to get over this you know the the, the social distancing stuff and wait till it's died down but then you've got to rely on still being able to sell lots of tickets and 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 that's not easy because people might not be comfortable with being in a crowd i i, I really i really don't know that's a million dollar question and i think a lot of a lot of uh, festivals are going to suffer a lot i mean some might might never come back just as an example and I, and i don't know i don't know anything about this but last year i remember boardmasters had to cancel because of the high winds and i'm yeah, sure I that would have cost yeah, Boardmasters down in down in Newquay because it's it's yeah. on like it's right on the top of a hill and and the weather was just I, I think that it really really got a batter in the the week of the event and they had to cancel it so they had to cancel last year and then this year obviously they've had to cancel it again so 
you know, can you imagine how, how tough that is for, for a business? So I, I think some festivals might never recover from this, but we've just got to, we've just got to wait and find out, haven't we? Yeah, of course we have. Yeah. I was watching some festival footage on YouTube just this weekend, actually. And I was looking at the crowd. I think it was transmit from two years ago. And I was looking at the crowd mm-hmm. and everyone's on shoulders and hugging each other. And I was like, oh, God, it, it feels like, feels like a lifetime ago, doesn't it? And you're thinking, like you say, with the distancing and everything else. How can we, you know, how can we safely get back there? And I know, and 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 at the time you didn't realise how how lucky we were to be able to do that. Round your mates or swigging pints in the sunshine. It's um... you know just you saying that. Then I, I I can sort of picture it in my head. Uh, for, for me, when when I'm going to a festival and I, I, you know, when you get near it and you can hear the the bass drum like thumping, and you yeah. sort of get all the festival smells of the. the the food, you know, the food smells and stuff, and everyone's excited. That you just can't beat it. I know, I'm the same. So yeah, hopefully we, uh, hopefully we get back there one day, uh, and it's uh, in the not too distant future. So Rick, massive vinyl lover, which we know you are, uh, can you tell us the three albums that you can't live without? First, the first one is definitely Abbey Road by the Beatles. Yeah, what an which, album. Um, my, my dad. My dad played that to me when I was about 15, 16, and he, he could see that I was really getting into music that by that point. Uh, and I just loved Oasis, and I think he thought, oh, if he likes Oasis, you know, it's time to show him who the real kings are. And, and he played me Abbey Road by the Beatles, and it just blew my mind. I was just like, I can't, I, I can't believe how good that is, you know, because it's, it's, it's a masterpiece sort of musically. Uh, from a songwriting perspective and, and the way all the, the tunes sort of flow, just unbeatable, in my opinion, best album ever. It's a brilliant album. When you think about it as well, like the, the consistency that they were, you know, they were just peeling out classic album after classic album, weren't they? You know, it was like Revolver. Yeah. Um, obviously, they had like a Magical Mystery Tour, but like Peppers and, and uh, Into the White album, Abbey Road, and yeah, it was just like, it was incredible, wasn't it? Really, when you think about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. You, you're nearly making me pick three Beatles albums there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I grew up on Beatles uh, vinyls as well, because when I was a kid and we didn't have a CD player, we had my granddad's old vinyl yeah. and all these old Beatles records. So, yeah, I, I grew up on, on all that stuff. Yeah. So it's quite easy to pick three Beatles. But I think um, the second one might be the Masterplan album by Oasis. What an album. Tim Burgess's listening parties. Did you, did you listen to Bonehead? He did one with Yes, him. I did. Absolutely and, brilliant, wasn't it? I love Bonehead. Yeah, when, that... Yeah, the master plan, he was almost sort of saying, I'm, I'm crying now, you know, when he got to the end of the album. He covered all the four the four albums he played on, didn't he? And I think, yeah, I think he just got emotional, didn't he, at the end of it all, and it was just... I know, and, and if you think that... It, I mean, it's not actually supposed... Well, it's not actually supposed to be an album either, is it? But it, no. it just worked perfectly. And, and I think, you know, when, oh, when Oasis were at the top of the game, to be coming out with... B-sides as good as that. Yeah. It, it's just ridiculous. Most bands couldn't dream of getting anywhere near the, the quality of those tunes, even for, you know, if they're trying as hard as they can, never mind just, you know, chucking them away as B-sides. I know, and there's even B-sides that didn't make that album that are still amazing from that time. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> yeah. So, I always thought, I always thought whatever was a bit of a weird one, because it, yeah. it was just not on any albums, but one of the best tunes. I, I, I'm, I'm not sure why it never made it onto an album, to be honest. I know, I thought they would have maybe put it on the master plan because, like you say, it was a standalone single, but it deserves to be on an album alongside other tracks, doesn't it? Because it's so good. Yeah, because it, it, it's kind of in danger of being forgotten a little bit otherwise, yeah. isn't it? But, um, yeah, mad, so mad one. Tune off the master plan, then. 
Um, might be underneath the sky, perhaps. But, but I don't know. Stay Young's really good as well. Um, I, it, it's really it's really tough to pick that. I don't. Coincidentally, I don't actually like the song "The Master Plan." That, yeah. that one does me head in a bit. But I think it's just because I've heard it too many times. Yeah, I think it's one of them. It's it's just an overplayed song, and it? it's like you know, uh, Wonder War got uh, killed to death at the time, and and everything like that. But I think yeah, one I love off the master plan is listen up. Like Liam's vocal on that. Just, oh mate, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm the same actually. That in fact that might be one of my favourite uh, Oasis tunes. I've forgotten that was on there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that that and uh, I hope I think I know off be here now is. I love that. Well. Oh, be here now for me. It's like that's the summer album. If if you're in the for Oasis, if if you're in the garden and you having a couple of go, yeah. be here now sounds amazing. Yeah, that in fact, as soon as as soon as the sun comes out this week, I'm going to stick that on and do some work in the garden instead of uh instead of it inside. I'll I'll, I'll be uh, cracking open a beer at lunchtime by the sounds yeah. of it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to pick uh, Transformer by Lou Reed. Ooh, yeah. But on, only only because I can see it in front of me because it's it's a little bit of a wild card. But I still think Lou Reed's meant that al- that album is is class as well, and it's kind of sums him up perfectly. But it's it's definitely definitely his best album if you ask me. With like Satellite of Love and um, Walking the Wild Side on there, oh, wow. just, uh, what a tune. Pr- pr- pretty iconic. Yeah. yeah. In fact, I, I saw Lou Reed. He played at um, he played at Glastonbury with Gorillaz. He, did, he had a tune on the Gorillaz album. They, they went through yeah. a period where they had everyone on the album, didn't they? Like Bobby Womack was I know. on the tune. Yeah, he was. He was. Like Turner. Loads, loads of people. Uh, what year would that have been then at Glasgow? Oh, it was the last time I went, and I reckon it might have been uh, about 2012, maybe. I'm sure if you look it up now, 2012 was probably the fallow year or something, but <laughs> I, th- I think it was around that time. Yeah. Maybe a bit later, maybe 2014. And, I'm not sure. That that was the last time I went. They uh, and Marky e. Smith was there as well, actually. All right. He he um he got up and did a tune with uh with, with Gorillas, which was class. Can I just tell you a story about yeah, Marky e. Smith just very quickly? There, we were, when we were recording the um the we were doing some pre-production on the album. So basically, if, if you record an album, you, you go into a studio first and record all your tunes and try and get like an idea of what you want to do with them, and you know when you record them properly. Uh, and we were, in, we were in Blueprint Studios in Manchester. We were in there all day. And, and later on, um, the, we were talking to the engineer and he said, um, he said, oh, lads, I, I need you to like, leave this room now because someone's coming in later. We were like, all oh, right, right. And thinking, you know, well, we've sort of booked half the studio out. So if they're sort of shoving us about a bit, it must be, uh, it must be someone important. And we were like, oh, who is it? He said, oh, it's Mark E. Smith. We were like, no way, because we love the fall. Um, big fall fans, and we always listened to him whilst we were on the road. And the uh, the engineer said, nobody wants to record with him, because last time he came, he bit someone. <laughs> he bit someone? He literally bit the engineer of the studio. <laughs> How mad is that? Oh, my. I mean, an, was, an absolute nutter. Yeah, he was, wasn't he? He was. Like, Mark E. Smith is just up there and he's just yeah, complete maverick. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, he was dead, like, strict about... He's a bit like James Brown. He used to sack people in his band all the time and say, oh, you're not doing it right, even though he, he couldn't play anything himself. He was just... Um, he, he was. He just 
had that vision of exactly what he wanted and and if you couldn't do it or didn't do it quite right, he, that was it. He didn't want to see you again. Yeah, he went through some band members, didn't he? Yeah, bloody hell, yeah. <laughs> yeah, although I think Twisted Wheel are catching them up now. <laughs> I was just going to say that myself then. <laughs> 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 so I've noticed recently that you've um, created or you're definitely, you're definitely heavily involved in a Visit Saddleworth Instagram account and it's a beautiful part of the world with like Dove Stones. And then, like little tiny villages like Dobcross, how did the idea come about, and what what are you aiming for with it? It was it's a bit bit of an odd one. That it's a bit of a a tangent, really, because I'm normally involved with music stuff. But the idea, generally, um, I, I've lived in Saddleworth nearly all my life. But I I thought that we needed a a sort of creative output in terms of. Um, you know, a, a media outlet for for the area because there's a lot of creative people around here, and I felt like the local press weren't really celebrating that. They were too busy focusing on um, on on clickbait, and you know, oh, there's the roads closed here, and the, you know, more parking issues in Greenfield, whatever. Yeah, uh, and and I, I felt like people who were involved in culture around here and, and doing interesting things were kind of being overlooked. So. Um, that was the reason we set that up, and and it, I mean the idea originally for the website is we we wanted to list local events. That was the idea, and we launched it, and then about two weeks later, lockdown started. So obviously all all the events just got um, <laughs> just got postponed. So went from having a website with like fifty events listed to to having about two on there. <laughs> so we had to move pretty quickly and, and, and sort of change things up a bit. So we were doing live streams of local artists uh, and, and it just, it went really well. Yeah, we we had, um, you know, we reached a lot of people with them. Uh, it sort of died down a bit now whilst we move on to other things. But yeah, it's been, uh, it, it's been interesting. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it's, it is a beautiful part of the world. Um, you know, like I said, yeah. you know, scenery for days. Yeah. Um, and like you say, there's a lot of talent out there as well. Definitely, definitely. It's quite a creative place, actually. Yeah. Um, there, there are quite a few bands from up here. The first time I ever went to Upper Mill was the um, the 1940s weekend, and I didn't even know. Oh, Yanks weekend. Yeah, the Yanks yeah. weekend. That's it. Yeah. And I just sort of stumbled into a pub, and it was like, you know, it was it was just carnage in the, you know in in, in a in the nicest possible. Uh, sense of the word everywhere it was lovely and it was just like yeah that was my first impression of Upper Mill and it was one Sunday yeah. afternoon and it was just a random one quite. gotta be gotta be honest with you it's, it's a bit of an odd one that uh Yanks weekend I mean we have the the main the main event up here normally is Whit Friday in the band contest right yeah so when when you're a kid basically when you're a kid in Saddleworth like it's the best day of the year I mean we used to say Whit Friday or Christmas when we were in school because Whit Friday was just the best day of the year because you, you had the Friday off and you'd meet all your mates in like in, in the centre of Upper Mill in the daytime and it, it was the sort of event when you're like 15 when you get drunk for the first time you know what I mean yeah uh, and and everyone I mean all the kids would just be running right through all the villages and um, it, it was brilliant and obviously you got the brass bands sort of marching through the villages and playing and everyone's out you know every all your mates from school and all the parents and you know, it was uh, it was just carnage. Uh, so that that's like the main event. But Yanks Weekend is kind of turning into the same thing now. But it, it's a bit of an odd one because most people don't even know what Yanks is. Um, but it was a, a a wartime sort of film that was actually set in Saddleworth. 
Yeah, so it, uh, and how you can sort of make you know theme a, a weekend in uh, in Sadworth around that is a bit of a mad one. But pe- people loved it, and it's been going on maybe sort of twelve years now. Personally, I think it's a little bit odd that people who didn't fight in the war dress up in wartime stuff. I find that a little bit bizarre, to be honest with you. But um, yeah, the you know people do get all dressed up. Do you think we'll ever see you back on a stage with Twisted Wheel? I can imagine you walking <laughs> on and ripping through strife and you stole the sun. Oh, mate, I'd have to do some serious rehearsing first. I've barely played bass at all in the last uh, in the last sort of eight years or so. Really? Yeah, well, I, I played with another band for a bit called The Wax Collection, who, in my opinion, were one of the best bands ever. And and I, I kind of, not because I was writing anything to do with it, I, was, I just joined the band because the, these two lads that were writing songs were just um, absolutely insanely talented, so I, I played with them for a bit. But other than that, I've, I've not I've not played since um, since I left Twisted Wheel. I've, but as, as I said before, I've kind of felt that uh, filled that gap with DJing instead. Is, is the question: Am I ever going to do it? That's the question. I don't feel like I need to, so I'm, I'm saying no at the moment. But you never know. You never know. Things might change. But I I, I don't. It might be different, right? If if the band when I'd left had had stopped there, um, but it sort of carried on and went through a few different changes since. Whereas, you know, if it was, if it had just stopped dead back back in the day, then if somebody said to me, Johnny and Clarkie, now do you fancy doing like a ten year anniversary show, you know, from the album uh, and playing the album in full? Then I'd probably be more open to it, but probably not because it's um, it, it didn't do that. It's just kind of morphed a little bit into something else I think and um, and I don't really need to go there <laughs> Yeah, yeah, if it would have been the original lineup coming back after after a prolonged absence then it's a lot easier to, exactly. to fit into isn't it? But, exactly and a, a, a lot of other bands have, have done that as well you know, I think even Little Man Tate are coming back aren't they? So yeah that, they? Um, Like you say a 10 year anniversary and playing the the debut album in full or something like that. I, I would have been open to that if if, if the band had uh, ended there, but it, it carried on. So um, I, I don't think... I think if you want the demand, you need to stop it. Otherwise, it, it's just going to keep sort of going and, I don't know, not fading away, but it kind of diluting itself a little bit, maybe. So what does the remainder of this year look like then? What are your next upcoming projects? I just want to get DJing as, as soon as possible, really, because whilst I've been in lockdown, I've been consuming so much music i've really got into the old um old sort of funk and soul stuff again because i i, I swung a bit towards the disco side over the last couple of years but i've gone right back into the the early sort of 60s um 60s soul and, and northern soul stuff so um i just want a dj mate but i need to find and it, you know we, we need to wait for the right opportunity so so people can enjoy it because I can't see that doing it in 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 a field with everyone stood one meter apart is is quite going to work. Have you explored any options of maybe like live streams from home or in the garden? Um, I could actually do that because I've got all I've, I've got all the stuff uh, to do it, and I've got that that many lights and things from from doing events myself. I've got like UV cannons and massive like industrial sized smoke machines and all sorts of stuff. If I did it, I could do it like and, and make it look pretty good. I think so. I might, I might do something like that. Might, might get around to it, but it depends on. Um, I'm not doing it in the house because I've got a, a two-year-old, 
And if I do it outside, there's a risk of being, um, the, the, if the weather's dreadful, then there's a risk of being absolutely drenched. So I need to wait for the right moment. <laughs> nice sunny weekend, like the August bank holiday. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, yeah, I, I might, I might, uh, if, if I get a Facebook event set up for it now, then I'll, you know, I, I'll do it if I set myself a deadline and hold myself to account for it, yeah. So finally then, if you could jump in a time machine and visit any gig in history, which one would it be? Uh, Woodstock. Woodstock, ooh, nice. Definitely. Which year? Definitely, because I'd want to see... I don't even know what year it was, but when Santana played um, that year and the drummer, I mean, there's all there's all kinds of stories about about this because the young drummer is called Michael something, I think. Santana at the time weren't well known at all, and they'd managed to like blag a slot, and then uh, I think I think they got told that they weren't playing. The, the band were like, "Oh bollocks, we'll just go and um, you know and, enjoy ourselves." And I think the story is that the drummer had like loads of LSD or whatever, <laughs> and then. The guy, the same guy came back that was programming the stage and he said, oh, someone else has dropped out. We need you on in 10 minutes. So they've gone like, shit, where's the drummer? And then they found him and he's like off his head or whatever. Uh, they got him on stage and, and they play, um, I think the tune's called Soul Sacrifice. Um, and it is, it's just unbelievable. And this young drummer, I mean, to be honest with you, he doesn't look like he's, he's off his head. But that it just adds to the story, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But but just watch the footage of that; it's absolutely insane, and it is it, so good. Uh, it, it's it's just brilliant watching uh, a legend like Santana just on the cusp of of breaking through because they were they were relatively unknown at the time. And also, Joe Cocker does uh, with a little help from my friends, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've seen the footage of that. I've seen the Joe Cocker? That is Santana. Oh right! Oh, you need you need to watch it, man. You yeah, need to watch it. I'm gonna have a YouTube after. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, do it, do it, because honestly, it's uh, it, it's mind blowing that I saw it and I was like, Jesus, that is mental. And I wouldn't even say Santana, the band I listen to, but that is just one of them moments where you go, Oh my God! Imagine being there watching that because it's like legendary. I mean, the whole everything about Woodstock's legendary, isn't it? I mean, like when the Rolling Stones played there, and you had the in Hell's Angels as the bodyguards, <laughs> and it was like, yeah, yeah. I love, I love stories like that. It just I adds think. to the, um, it, it just adds to the experience of it all. I think. And I read, uh, I read a Roger Daltrey interview recently, and he said I was at Woodstock with Keith Moon, Pete Townsend, and John Entwistle. They'd all had shed loads of LSD, and I had to get them back to London via three flights. <laughs> Oh my god! Can you imagine that? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think uh, Keith Moon was the easiest man to uh, to manage. <laughs> but equally, John Entwistle. I mean, he he, he died, didn't he? Um, yeah, of he, a heart attack. I think I, th- I think he was in bed with a with, with a stripper, and he was off his head. So yeah, he was, and 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 he must have been about sixty then. So <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't think they took it easy then, lads. Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> I put a thing on the uh, on the Instagram page actually, and I, I think the Who, like pound for pound, if you you know if you strip it back, singer, guitarist, bass player, drummer, I think pound for pound, they're one of the best ever bands to grace the stage. Yeah, probably, pro- yeah, probably. All that, the Who for me, and like musically and individually, they were like massive characters there, and and yeah, you know, each of them could just do a solo for like ten minutes and 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 think nothing of it. But for me, the, the they're just not quite in the same bracket as the Stones and the Beatles for for me. I don't feel like 
you can compare to the Stones and the, the Beatles. Although the, the, the Stones had like a really shit period, didn't they? So I, I think in yeah, terms of, I think in terms of like just work ethic and like as a live act, I do think they were sort of you know I think they were. I'm not saying the best, but I think they were they're in the top five. I think they were a great live band. Yeah, I actually saw them at Glastonbury. They headlined the first time I went to Glastonbury, but it was a Sunday night, and by that point, I was ready for home. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest with you, I think the best band ever that are still touring now are Chic. Chic, and I saw um, them at Glastonbury uh, on the. Uh, yeah, I did. I did on West Holtz. Nah, no, no, it was only it was 2017. Oh, right, Pyramid Stage. Yeah, yeah. Okay. The pyramid, so it was a really sunny Sunday afternoon, and Barry Gibb and Sheik were both on. I can't remember who was on first. I think Sheik were on first, and then Barry Gibb. Might be the other way around, but yeah. Jesus, what a, what a Sunday afternoon that was. Niall Rogers, he's the man, in he, on that guitar. Yeah, he is, yeah. Yeah, he, just he, the hit maker, isn't he? You can't... Um... He's just incomparable, I, I think, to most musicians that are out there now. I do. Um, he, he can just, he, he's just on a, a different level altogether. And you know what the funny thing was? The first time I saw him at Glastonbury on West Alts was when they just got sort of back together and they were playing again. And a couple of months before, I think they played at the Ritz in Manchester, which... Oh my God, imagine... You know, which is, which is, I know, you know, the Ritz is old about 1,600 people, I think. And... um and now, you know, they play arenas, so you can imagine what, what that was like in such a small venue. Yeah. And everyone was posting, say, you know, saying, oh, I'm going watching Sheik. And I was thinking, it hey, was Sheik. <laughs> I was like, I've got no idea who this band are. It was, this was years ago now. Uh, and I was like, who, who are this band? And I spoke to a mate of mine, and he went, you don't know Sheik? He went, oh, he said, you'll know every song. And I was like, will I? Who is the, you know, who is this that I did that I've never heard of? Uh, but obviously, I did know every song. It just hadn't occurred to me that it, that it was them, and we, we saw them at Glastonbury, and I was just like, oh my god, totally blown away. It blew me away too, and it's like how many tunes they've been involved in. You know, like, like stands with Bowie, and obviously, like more recently, the Daft Punk stuff as well. But like he's been in yeah. on so yeah. many tunes. Oh yeah, I, I, they, they headlined Kendall Call in a couple of years back. In fact, it was last year. Yeah, I remember, and actually, they yeah. totally changed the set for that. But they ended up doing loads of Madonna tunes, and I was like, "He did this as well." I didn't know. What's it right? Which tunes? Um, like a virgin and oh, all and all that. Know. Swear down. Yeah, I know. I had no idea. It, the set was totally different to when I saw them at Glastonbury. But they're that good. You know, they, they've probably got fifty or sixty tunes that they can uh, choose from for the set. Yeah, and he's so that's incredible. You know, that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, that that that's just testament to how good he is, you know, across different genres and stuff. It's just insane. And Barry Gibb, Barry Gibb was amazing as well. So, like you were saying before about, you know... <laughs> was it? Honestly, he was, you know, like, when you talk about before going to the, you know, a little bit disco-y in your DJ set, I was thinking about that yeah. gig, like, some of them tunes off Saturday Night Fever. Yeah, yeah oh, yeah, yeah, the Bee Gees got some... Uh, Mint disco stuff, definitely. Funnily enough, there's there's a video of um, Niall Rogers' first band, and they're playing uh, a BG. They, they were called the Big Apple Band, and it, you can watch it on YouTube. But it's like dead raw, like pounding disco, uh, and they're playing a BG's tune. Uh, you should be dancing, um, and and that's like one of their early gigs. And it's Niall Rogers when he was dead young, but it's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. When you were at Glastonbury, then did did Twisty Wheel ever play Glastonbury? Yeah, we did. Um, we played the John Peel stage. Yeah. What a stage. Um, yeah, it was brilliant. It was brilliant. 
but it, it was funny when, when we got there because we'd been playing with Paul Weller the night before, but up in we were doing the forest tour with Paul Weller and we were up in North Yorkshire um, play, playing up there with him and then we had to drive all the way down. For some reason, we'd got a motorhome instead of the normal tour bus, which was, well, we it's because we were going to sleep at Glastonbury, but we were like going to sleep on the way down as well and we set off after we played the gig with Weller. And I'm not joking, it must have taken, because it, it was dead slow with this motorhome and like, it was full of stuff in the back as well. So every time you went round a corner, all like the bloody cutlery had fallen out the drawers and stuff. <laughs> it was the longest drive I've ever been on, and it was horrendous. We were going about 50 miles an hour all the way. Um, but by the time we got there, because we were playing on Sunday, our mates had been there since Wednesday, and they were an absolute mess. They were just all over the shop, you know. They just looked so weathered and 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 tired. And we turned up relatively fresh faced, despite this horrendous uh, journey down there. So um, yeah, it was it, it was brilliant. Like the crowd, the crowd were mint, and um, yeah, it's uh, it, it was good to be playing that stage as well, you know. It's an iconic stage of Don Peel. Yeah, it is. To end the show then, Rick's going to play two tunes for us. Or he's going to choose two tunes for us. Do you want to tell us a little bit about them? Yeah, the first one is a song called Power by Jake Fletcher. Uh, Jake's um, a musician from up Saddleworth Way. Uh, we've done some live streams with him actually over over our Visit Saddleworth Facebook page. Um, Jake, I, I actually used to manage one of his old bands, but he's immensely talented and um, he, he does a bit of session work as well. With um, he, He's done some, he, he, he toured with the specials playing guitar for them. Oh, um, recently, so yeah, it, Jake's mega, mega talented. Um, the next tune we're going to play, we're going to play the latest single from Pablo's Paintings, who um, the guitarist in that band. I used to be in the Wax Collection with uh, Matt. He's called Matt Allison, and he, he's mega talented again. So yeah, uh, another great band to be uh, checking out. Okay, well, thank you very much, Mr. Rick. Please, no problem. Thanks for having me. Cheers, lads. <laughs> Oh, 
Microphone test. Welcome to In Your Ears Music. Tonight we have the saddle of singer-songwriter whose debut album was released last Friday, The Songs of Tino Kane. Put your hands together, please welcome Tino Kane. <laughs> 